Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Michael, Chris Paul said Carmelo Anthony gets too much criticism from the fans and the media. Do you buy into that? I'm Michael McGinnis. Last year, I definitely wouldn't, but this year hasn't happened yet, so you can hold your horses on criticizing Carmelo. I mean, dude, you can't disregard the fact that the Rockets' championship odds went down with the admission of Melo, and OKC's went up. Alright, boys and girls, today, back with me today is the diehard Yankees fan, Mr. Michael McGinnis. Alright, we got a little delayed clapping here. It's coming for you. Don't think I would disregard you because you're a Yankees fan. On today's episode, Kyrie Irving makes a big commitment, MLB playoff teams make big statements, and the Patriots make most NFL fans unhappy. We begin today with news that would have been covered last week if it weren't for the MLB playoff special. Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL in a week three loss to the Chiefs. He is done for season. C.J. Beathard will play in his stead, but could not lead the 49ers to a win over the Chargers last week. Michael, if you were Kyle Shanahan, would you stick with Beathard or potentially look for a trade or go to the free agent market? Uh, well, right now, if I'm Kyle Shanahan, uh, I'm probably just going to hold on, not waste any salary cap, because uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be back next year. Oh, God, he cut out again. So, I think if I were... Uh, Kyle Shanahan, I wouldn't make any drastic moves, if any at all. I mean, I, if I were Kyle Shanahan, C.J. Beathard could not lead them to a win last week. So I'm, uh, and out there right now, there's a quarterback who led that franchise to a Super Bowl who is unemployed by the name of Colin Kaepernick. I know people are angsty about him kneeling for the anthem and blah, 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 but the Carolina Panthers signed Eric Reed, who was um, a Kaepernick's counterpart for that. So I can't exactly discount that. I really think that... If I were Kyle Shanahan, I would suck it up and sign Kaepernick, regardless of what the media and the fans think. Yeah, I mean, but also you have to take into consideration that Kaepernick uh, led them to a Super Bowl like five years ago. Uh, and keep in mind, he hasn't played uh, an actual in a game in over a year. So you have to wonder if he's still at that same level as he was a couple years ago, and if he would really be that much an improvement on Bethard anyway, taking his drama in the locker room as well. Well, I mean, you would think that um, uh, Kaepernick would at least have a little bit of it. It's not like you declined that quickly in terms of speed and agility and stuff like that, but um, uh, I mean, Kaepernick is making eight digits right now with that Nike Akinpin. You would think he'd want to make more. Yeah, I mean... Like, it's also at a point where would Kaepernick do it, so I don't know if he would. He's making enough money right now with, uh, with um, Nike, so I mean, it's time to campaign. He doesn't really need to sign right now with 49ers. I so, mean, uh, I'm sure he'd like to play, but he doesn't have to. Yeah, and why would he risk injury and all that, so it could just create a little more for him to worry about. Yeah. Anyway, um... Regardless of what the 49ers uh, will do, it is safe to say that they will miss Garoppolo. And uh, some more NFL news coming our way after a 1-2 start. Uh, a lot of people were saying that the New England Patriot, Patriots were done with this care they've been on for the last 20 years. However, they did bounce back over the last two weeks with a 38-7 win over the Miami Dolphins Sunday and a 38-24 win over the Indiana, Indiana, Indianapolis Colts uh, on Thursday night. Liam, is it safe to say the Patriots are back in business? Yeah, it is. They've looked great over the past two weeks. They just got Edelman back, and uh, they also made an interesting trade for Josh Gordon, which I I didn't like originally, but I've grown to like it over the past couple of weeks. And uh, 
Their defense has looked much, much, much better over the past two weeks. They were terrible against Jacksonville. They weren't great against Detroit. They were amazing against Miami, and they were solid against Indy. So, two great defensive performances. And then I'm a, Tom Brady's back, man. I mean, I know there were some rumors that he was going to divorce Belichick or something over the past weeks, but I'm, a, I'm hoping that this is a sign they'll put all the drama behind them and that another Super Bowl could be on the way. Yeah, and I actually have to uh, agree with Theano right now about a Super Bowl, but the um, the thing is that the Patriots have been known since uh, the Brady-Belichick era to start off slow, and they did grab that one win over the Texans who are struggling on the offensive line a lot and are just trying to pull, on it, pull in touchdowns in their offenses. They have the weapons, but they can't really do much. And uh, another thing is, is that they did uh, Edelman did come back uh, keep in mind, over the first couple of weeks, Brady was short on receiving options. They added Josh Gordon, who could potentially be huge. Uh, and they have Edelman back, who's uh, Brady's slot guy. So I think they're looking pretty good. They got Hogan, who needs to start getting going. And they always will have Gronk, unless he gets hurt. So I think that the Patriots are doing really well. And I think that they're going to continue to do well, get to the playoffs, and we'll take it from there. Well, I mean, we just agreed on it, so I'm just going to move on right now. Because if the Patriots keep playing like they have been the past two weeks, I may just smell another Super Bowl. Now we'll get into the elephant in the room, the MLB playoffs. As of right now in the NL, the Dodgers have a 2-0 lead on the Braves and the Brewers 2-0 on the Rockies. In the AL, my Red Sox have a 1-0 lead over your Yankees. The Astros have a 1-0 lead over the Indians. Michael, over the past week from Game 163 onward, what has intrigued you the most about this postseason? Um, right now, I would have to say that that, that, that was looking really interesting because I didn't think that the, uh, I thought that the Braves actually would have a really nice chance at beating the Dodgers, uh, especially since, like, um, the Braves are so young and, like, people haven't, the Dodgers haven't really faced them that much since they've gotten, since they've added, like, Acuna and Albies, and so I thought they would do a little bit better. And then the uh, Brewers and the Rockies, I thought the, it would be more of like 1-1 one, one right now because the Rockies have that killer offense. I know they don't really have the starting pitching, but I thought that they would be able to put up a ton of runs. But the Brewers have really taken care of them. Over in the AL, I think that the Yankees need to win tonight and bring it back to New York. And I think that the Astros are just going to sweep the Indians. So I think that we can see... The most interesting series is obviously the Red Sox-Yankees, which is on primetime every night when they're playing. So we'll see what happens. I'm really intrigued. I couldn't even watch the end of the game last night because I was so nervous. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I was nervous too last night. But I'm a, you were right about the Red Sox-Yankees series, about the Yankees needing to win tonight because I'm a, Rick Porcello is great against the Yankees, and so is Nathan Evaldi. And they're slated out to pitch three and four. I know I know you've got Seve going game three, I I feel like that's why we need to win tonight as well, because if we face Seve Game 3 and could potential for going down to one that could be troublesome, but that's not the series that intrigues me the most. Um, oh, and I'm going to make a side note right here. Masahiro Tanaka isn't very good when Gary Sanchez is catching, so when you watch the game tonight, keep that in mind. Now, what intrigues... We, we could see um, Sanchez in a DH spot and put out uh, Stanton in left field. Which would also make sense because Hicks got hurt last game. So we could essentially see like Kyle Higashoka or... Uh, Romine. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's interesting. So, but I'm, uh, what intrigues me the most is the fact that the Chicago Cubs lost two straight at home. 
The Cubs won a, the Cubs broke the longest drought in baseball history two years ago. I think it's sports history, as a matter of fact. And I'm a, they they still have great players. They they got the MVP candidate in Baez. They had they had Cole Hamels. They had Lester. I don't know what happened. I mean, I know Brian had a down year, but I'm a. The Cubs were coming off one of having the best record in the NL, and then losing it in the last week of the season, then to lose two straight at home. That's that surprised me. Astros, Dodgers, and Brewers fans may be feeling pretty confident right now. But uh, one swing of the bat can change everything. Uh, but weeks have passed, and Jerry Butler is still on the, free, on the trade market after a request from the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the NBA regular season starts in 10 days. Do you see him getting traded before then? I'm, uh, he made the request weeks ago, right? So I'm, uh, how has he not been traded by now? I know it's. I really find it interesting, which I'll talk more about later, that he hasn't been traded yet because several teams have been making a big push for him. The Clippers, but Minnesota wants Tobias Harris, who the Clippers are unwilling to part with. The Rockets, who will probably need to give up Capella or Gordon. And the Miami Heat, who I don't really think have the assets to make a trade for him without giving up Goran Dragic. So I really think it's interesting to me that Baller doesn't want to go to a good team. I like. I think New Orleans is an intriguing option. Yeah, well, uh, talk about those big three teams right now that are uh, trying to go for him, the Clippers, the Rockets, and the Heat. Um, it's been said that he actually, well, he hasn't actually formally said that he likes, wants to go to the Rockets, even though that's where he grew up. He does want to be in L.A. He does want to be in Miami. But uh, the problem with L.A. and Miami is that they're probably not going to win for a while. And the problem with the Rockets, they don't really have the assets to acquire him. Unless, of course, they give up somebody like Gordon or P.J. Tucker or somebody like that. And uh, that may not make too much sense for the Rockets. On the Clippers' side, uh, Tobias Harris has been pretty good for them. I think he's one of those guys that's like a little bit under an all-star, but still a solid starter. So, um, and then, of course, I think that the Heat should be going after him because Miami is a free agent destination. If they already have one guy there, they still have Whiteside that can possibly be good, and uh, Dragic is starting to get old, so I would probably do something like that if I were the Heat. And also, another reason why he hasn't been traded yet is because Tom Thibodeau is doing everything he can to hold on to him. Yeah, I mean, Tibbs is a big guy in Minnesota, and I can understand why he wants to hang on to him, but I'm a, I really do find it interesting how several teams that Butler didn't originally list, like Houston and Miami, are currently frontrunners for him. My guy, Kyrie Irving, broke the hearts of New York Knicks fans on Thursday, telling Celtics fans at an open practice and fan fest, if you guys will have me back, I plan on re-signing here, making a commitment to helping the Boston Celtics win a championship. Michael, how did the Knicks proceed from here now now that Kyrie has declared himself a Celtic? Well, I'm a little bit skeptical about what Kyrie said, partially because when free agent opens, and it's a whole new, it's a whole new ball game. Um, another thing is, is that remember uh, when Kyrie left the Cavaliers, everybody was bringing up this old video where he told a fan that he would never leave uh, Cleveland like LeBron did. So I'm still not completely convinced that he's not leaving the uh, that he's leaving not leaving the Celtics. And uh, I also think that the uh, Knicks are gonna have a lot of talent because they already have Cantor and Porzingis there. If they add somebody like Kyrie at the one. And they have Kevin Knox at the three that can go out and get like somebody like Jerry Butler, who we just talked about, and then they'll have an all-star starting lineup. So I think that uh, 
he probably will stay at the Celtics, but the Knicks will be a real, like a really intriguing option for him. All right, the way okay, the way I see it, the New York Knicks need to hold out on the trade market and wait number year before four, count them four or maybe three. I think four Golden State Warriors hit free agency. I believe Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Boogie Cousins all hit free agency that year. And then they should make a push at Kevin Durant and move Kevin Knox to the two. I mean, because I got a notification on Bleacher Report the other day. It said. The feelings of Durant to New York were like the feelings of LeBron to LA, so I'm uh, that very much intrigued me because I'm a uh, if Durant goes to New York and teams up with Kristaps, oh man, that's trouble in the East. So I'm a, uh, I think the New York Knicks should wait for a year then get Kevin Durant. Yeah, that would be another interesting thing. Uh, also, um, I mean, yeah, the Kevin Durant going to the Knicks would be huge because he's the probably the second best player in the league. But I also think that. Um, what they have going on, Golden State, all these things telling them that they're pro- that they'll leave is a little bit hard. I don't know. Like I think that it's gonna be kind of hard to get those guys apart, other than Boogie Cousins, because they're not gonna have cap room next year. Oh yeah, they're absolutely not gonna have cap room next year to give them all max contracts. Oh, now I will give a fantasy football update. My yeah, team, team. This week. Oh yeah, right. I play I play Mr. McGinnis this week, and my team, Team Martin and Team Perot, I'll stand at three and one. Team Adzgar and Team McGinnis stand at 2-2, two two, despite Team McGinnis scoring the most points, though he has given up the most points as well. And Team Allbox sits at 0-4. Yeah, you've scored the most points, but you've given up the most points, and it helped me beat you. Alrighty, time to play the most game, where a word will be placed after the word most. We will debate categories in sports that apply to the phrase, and today's phrase is most important. Okay. So players and coaches are important to their respective teams, and we're talking, and we're about to talk about it. We'll start with our MLB players. Which MLB player is more important to their team this postseason? All right, the most important player to his postseason team this year is Jose Altuve of the Houston Astros. Remember when Altuve was going against Boston last year? It was game over from the start. Three homers in game one. He was on in games two, three, and four. It was bloody chaos for us, and I'm a... But I do have another answer here. That's my hitting answer. My pitching answer is the entire Boston Red Sox bullpen. You saw how their bullpen melted melt, melted down last night. I mean, they gave up four they gave up four runs and almost blew the game for us. So I'm a, I was praying that they did. Oh, I'm sure you were. So we if we're gonna win tonight with David we need we need at least five innings from Price. Then we need Brazier, Barnes, and someone else to pitch well to get to Kimberl to do well. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with you about that Red Sox bullpen. I didn't know who half the guys they put in there last night were. But uh, I think right now, for, um, the most important like position player at least is going to be the future Yankees captain, Aaron Judge. And both of the postseason games this year, he's hit a home run in. He's trying to put this team on his back, and they're going to call him the captain pretty soon. And then... Uh, for pitching, I got to probably go with the uh, Colorado Rockies starters because right now they are not doing too well. The Brewers' offense is saucing all over them, so we'll see what happens. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and the, the Rockies staff has not been great. All right, Michael. Next up, which NFL coach is most important to his team? Well, let's see what happens. Well, on the first episode of the show, I said that Bill Belichick was the most overrated coach in the league, but I'm, I'm not going to stick by that for 
right now the most important coach to his team is kind of actually pretty tough. I'm trying to think. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's uh, tough, isn't it? All right, I'm yeah, going to um, – I said on the first episode that Mike Tomlin was the most overrated coach because he hasn't let his team yeah. to the Super Bowl. I, actually, I think for the most important coach right now, I'm going to actually have to go with Mike Tomlin because uh, right now um, what we've seen uh, Mike Tomlin do is uh, Antonio Brown starting to get a little bit more involved in the offense, Ben Roethlisberger starting to get going, and then uh, the uh, – Le'Veon Bell's coming back week eight. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, I so, did. This will be interesting, and you'll have to put all the pieces together halfway through the season. So right now, I'm gonna actually have to most important NFL coach. Okay, I'm gonna take an interesting one here because this coach has won two games as head coach over his time here, and my head coach is Hugh Jackson. The Cleveland Browns could and should be four and zero right now. They had, a, they, they were the. They were on the wrong side of a bad call last week, and I'm uh, kicking woes prevented them from winning their first two games. They did get one win in week three, but I'm a bad call prevented them from winning in week four. So I'm a, Hugh Jackson needs to figure. I think the Cleveland Browns are still trying to figure out who they are as a team with Hugh Jackson as head coach. I mean, they've they've surprised everybody week four or over the past four weeks. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. But if the Browns want to continue to success, they're gonna need. They're going to need Hugh Jackson to do an excellent job. Not good, excellent. Yeah, and I actually have to agree with you. I know that you don't like uh, Colin Coward, but he made this really good take on the, on the Cleveland Browns. He said that, um, I completely agree with this. He said that all the Cleveland Browns fans are raging because uh, the, um, I guess at the time they were 1-1-1, one, one, and, one. and he made this point that uh, all the Cleveland Browns fans need to stop because they're a field goal kicker away from being 3-0 and at the time. So, honestly, I think that Hugh Jackson's doing a good job. A lot of people thought he should have been fired last year, but, I mean, they weren't going to get, like, you look at what's trending right now in the NFL, you have offensive coaches. I mean, do you see what happened with uh, um, Mitchell Trubisky uh, throwing, like, six touchdown passes last week, and they hired Matt Nagy? And then they, uh, Jared Joff, who wasn't even relevant his first year, they hired Sean McVay, and now he's going crazy for the Rams, might win the Super Bowl this year, or at least getting into the playoffs. Oh, they're getting so, into the Super Bowl. Hugh Jackson's a really good for uh, a really good offensive coach, and I think that he's going to help Baker Mayfield a lot this year. So I think that I actually agree with that take on Hugh Jackson being very important to this Cleveland Browns team. You were right. I do not like Colin Coward. You, of all people, know that very well. Well, uh, he makes a bunch of bad claims against the Celtics. How can I? How can I? How can I like him? Oh, oh no! You're thinking of McGrady. Mm-mm. No, he said it. He said he thinks they're going to beat the Warriors. Uh, either way, what's next? Uh, well, next we have uh, which NBA player is most important to this team? Alright, on the first episode of the show, I called Steph Curry the most overrated player in the NBA, but I'm a, he's important to his team, but that's not my answer. My answer is not LeBron James. My answer is actually pretty a pretty surprising one to many, because this player has declined over the past couple of years, and I'm a, we mentioned him earlier in the show. My answer is Carmelo Anthony. If Carmelo Anthony can get back to his 20-point-per-game form, oh my god, the Houston Rockets are really, really, really good. And have a chance to dethrone the Golden State Warriors for real this year. 
I know they were a hamstring away from winning last year, but I'm a, can you just imagine what would happen if Carmelo Anthony was who Carmelo Anthony is? Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good one. But I'm probably going to go with uh, somebody that's kind of jokey a little bit. But um, he plays for the L.A. Lakers. Oh, no, don't say LeBron. I'm not saying LeBron. That's actually Alonzo Ball. What? So, okay, this is kind of hard, but this is my take on it. I think that Alonzo uh, has a chance at being, like, Okay, so we all know why LeBron went to the Lakers, partially because of the money, and the other part is because he didn't want to hold, like, have the ball in his hands the whole time. Oh, and don't LeBron forget he wants he wants to go to Hollywood after he finishes playing too. Yeah, well, LeBron doesn't want to hold the ball the rest of the rest of the, like the whole game like he was in Cleveland, so he needs to rely on his guys like Young Lonzo Ball, and for the time being until Ball gets back, Rayshon Rondo to hold the ball, handle the ball for him. So I think that when Lonzo gets back, it's going to be really important because he's going to be the one at the top of the key who's going to have to make plays for the L.A. Lakers. So I think that in order for the Lakers to be good, Lonzo Ball has to be good. Uh, you shocked me at first, but now I kind of want to see what you were going for. Last one, which MLB manager in the postseason absolutely has to do his job correctly for his team to win the World Series? All right, Aaron Boone, 178%. Uh, Aaron Boone... If you look at all the Yankee Instagram pages, they all bash him. They think he's horrible. I'm always the guy that leaves that comment that's like, well, Aaron Boone's just a rookie manager. He's kind of getting into it. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He's going up against Alex Cora, who's been uh, an assistant coach for, like, the last, like, whatever years. And, I mean, everybody else in the league can tell he's going to go up against been pretty established managers like Terry Francona and A.J. Hinch. So I think that in order for the Yankees to do really well, they're going to need Aaron Boone to step up to the plate. And if he has to get tossed from a game, he needs to get tossed from a game. If he has to make a drastic move, pull a player from the game, or... Go ahead. Yeah, so, you're right. Aaron, Hick, Aaron Boone is very important to the Yankees, but my guy is a guy you just mentioned, and he's definitely established. Terry Francona. Terry Francona has tons and tons and tons of talent in Cleveland, but it only got him 91 wins. I mean, Francona led. Francona broke the curse in Boston. He he's loved in Boston for what he did. Now it's time for him to be loved in Cleveland for what he did. Because uh, he's got Ramirez, he's got Lindor, he's got Brantley, he's got Encarnacion. Three outstanding, four outstanding players, just to name a few. And I mean, he Corey Kluber was terrible yesterday. I mean, well, I mean. Not terrible, but bad yesterday. So, I'm, uh, the Cleveland Indians need Francona to be sh as sh sharp as possible if they're going to rally back from their game one loss yesterday. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I actually think that Francona is a pretty good candidate for that. Alright, time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements that have happened on dates in the upcoming week. 136 years ago today, October 6th, the very first World Series game was played between Cincinnati and Chicago. And Cincinnati won for nothing. The World Series has become to be known as the Fall Classic. And every year since, excluding the 1994 strike year, the World Series has been played. Alright, 24 years ago on Wednesday, October the 10th, the New York Giants retired Lawrence Taylor's number 56. Taylor is remembered today as one of the greatest all-time defensive players. 26 years ago, Thursday, October 11th, Deion Sanders became a multi-sport athlete playing for the Falcons of the NFL and the Braves of the MLB. Primetime, as they used to call him and still do today, 
is remembered as one of the greatest multi-sport athletes of all time. Alright, 39 years today, 39 years ago from yesterday, October 12th. Uh, this upcoming Friday, buddy. Oh, this upcoming Friday, my bad. Uh, the NBA's three-point shot became a reality as Chris Ford of the Boston Celtics made the first ever three-point basket. The game also marked the debut of NBA legend Larry Bird, who would become one of the greatest players of all time. Also one of the greatest trash talkers, just FYI. Okay, the show's almost over. So it's time for Who You Got, where we will spotlight one key matchup happening or a player on the move in all three of you leagues. We'll start in the NBA, Michael. Who you got on opening night on October 16th, Golden State or OKC? Where's the game being played, Golden State or OKC? I'm pretty sure it's in Golden State because of the ring ceremony. Alright, well I don't think it really matters because Golden State's going to kill them either way. I don't think that the OKC really will have much of a chance on opening night against four tremendous players. So, I'm definitely going to lean okay. I'm Golden State on that game. I'm calling upset here. I mean, Golden State is without DeMarcus Cousins. Can you imagine what Russell Westbrook's feeling is going to be like watching his now arch-rival enemy, Kevin Durant, getting his ring? So, I'm a 40-point I'm, I'm triple-double from Russell Westbrook, 30 points at least from Paul George, 20 from Steven Adams. OKC pulls off the upset. They're so completely disagree. Golden State, they got four guys that on any given night I would take against any team except for if they're playing Boston at, or the Rockets at their home stadium. Okay, I would take Golden State over the Thunder easily. We'll see. I can't, I can't even, I can't go as far as to predict an upset on this game. I would be pushing it too much. We'll see. Alright, next up in the NFL... The Cowboys travel to Houston to play the Texans on Sunday Night Football tomorrow, which I'm going to. Who do you got? Okay, well, I'm, uh, you mentioned it earlier. The Texans' offensive line has been bad all year, but I'm, uh, the Cowboys haven't been great this year. So Houston gained momentum last Sunday against the Colts. I know it was a god-awful coaching decision, but they still won nonetheless. So I'm, I'm taking the Texans, keeping their momentum. Well, first off, I disagree about the god-awful coaching decision, but um, just because it's a guy that's taking a risk, and if he had converted, everybody the next day would have been like, oh, this is the best coach ever. No, I don't. Like, like literally, uh, Mike Vrabel did the same thing in his game, and he comes out, they convert on fourth down, and it's like, oh, he's the best coach ever. I can't believe nobody else tried to go out and get him. It's like, well... Actually, they did the same thing in Indianapolis, but they just weren't successful with it. So, um, I think, though, that not relevant. that's not relevant to this game, but I think that Houston's going to win. I don't think that it's going to be the prettiest game ever played. But also keep in mind that Houston's one lingering problem has been their offensive line, and I don't think that the Cowboys really have any pass rushers that can take advantage of that issue. Okay, last one in the MLB. Who you got in our series? Will the Yankees rally back, or will the Sox keep the momentum? So what do you think I'm going to say? Um, uh, honestly, I think you're going to say Yankees in five, because I, I know you have faith in your guys, but it's tough to win three out of four, especially well, against the Sox. The only, team that, did, the only team that did that all year was Tampa Bay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to yesterday, before the game started, and said the Yankees are going to sweep the Red Sox. No, but they're actually going to win the next three games. They're going to win tonight. They're going to win on Sun. No, they're going to win on Monday, and they're going to win on Tuesday. And the oh. series is going to be over. Bye, bye, Boston. Oh my God, but I'm, uh, 
let's not forget, you got you got to win tonight in Boston, and you got to beat Porcello, who's great against the Yankees. Then you got to. was running up in the bullpen last night. Come on. No, he's pitching. He's pitching game three. <laughs> I mean, I believe that he's pitching game three, but you know, you don't see the Yankees even putting Tanaka up in the bullpen. Uh, well, that's because your bullpen is actually pretty good. Our stinks. Then I'm a. We got Iabaldi game four, who's fired sixteen shutout innings against the Yankees this year. Gave up one unearned run. And I'm, uh, might I remind you, the last time Sabathia pitched against the Red Sox, I was there, yanked after three innings. And I'm, uh, so the Red Sox, are we'll win tonight, we'll, Severino will fire seven shutout innings Monday, you'll take game three, and then, it'll be, ju- it'll be just like game four against Houston last year, we'll take the lead in the eighth, and then walk out of Yankee Stadium, deja vu, just like the AL East clinching game. That's not what's going to happen. <laughs> Nathan Yavaldi's going to hang too many curveballs. He's Aaron not Rodgers a curveball thrower. He's a cutter. He throws a cutter, not a curveball. Same thing. Just a little harder. you got to throw like a slider. So he's going to mess around like a knuckleball. They're just going to start. Well, we don't yeah. have a knuckleballer anymore because Stephen Wright is hurt. Well, Stephen Wright taught Nathan Yavaldi how to throw a knuckleball, and he doesn't throw it as well. So there we go. Home runs. <laughs> All right. I think that's all we got, though, for today, uh, boys and girls. I'm Michael McGinnis. I'm Liam Griffin. I would like to thank Michael for being my guest again today, and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me. Next week, we'll have our big NBA preview. Jay West will join me, and we will give you everything you need to know in anticipation of the NBA season. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week.